place to hide. No place to run. No place to run. The mutant aid. The mutant aid has now begun. Who was I talking to about it the other day? We was cracking up, like we were talking about like the Sentinels going out trying to you know kill all the mutants, and uh, and if you had like the lamest mutant power ever, like you know my mutant power is I can you know detect how much salt is on something. <laughs> and meanwhile, the <laughs> Sentinels tracking you down and trying to kill you. Hey, that ham's got a high sodium. Co- oh, what the hell! I'm in a net. We've got you now, mutant. <laughs> well, Cipher was pretty close before they killed him. Poor dead Doug. Yeah. He could he could decipher languages. That's gonna do really well against the Hellfire Club. And then he became Doug Lock. Yeah. <laughs> Back to the bin. So who's bringing us in? Not me. Not me. Not me. Not me. I thought Bane was bringing us in. It's not me. Ah, crap. (laughs) (laughs) He almost made me spit up my drink. There goes my $200 microphone. You drink like a younger man. You hold nothing back. (laughs) I'm watching way too many of those clips on YouTube. So, you bringing us in, Bane, or what? Not me. Oh, (laughs) f***. You would bring us in as Bane? Or as Alvin Bane? Well, they're kind of one of the same. Alvin Bane. Should we call him Balvin? Or Bainvin. <laughs> How do we call him the one who brings us in? <laughs> I think we should call it your grave. Oh. <laughs> Curse your sudden but inevitable betrayal. <laughs> Hello. Welcome to Back to the Bins. X-Men month. Week whatever. When Paul decides to put this up. The producer. Do you feel in charge, Mrs. Pataro? Uh, I am the producer. Thank you, Mr. Bain. Yes. It's Mr. Alvin to you. I think <laughs> I've forgotten those nasty things you've said about me. You're telling me I could die. I'll tell you when you could die. <laughs> I'll turn this over to Dr. Bill now. He's finished cleaning up my hairballs. Good day to you. Get is out that, of here. Is that balls of hair that he got rid of, or is it something else? <laughs> Far more I untoward. I don't want to say. I don't want to say. Well, welcome, everyone. And here we are. This is the X Factor week of X-Men, of our X-Men month. And uh, tonight, tonight we have a full house. Full house. We have four of us here. We have myself. We have, of course, the producer, Mr. Spataro. hi and we have um, our our long lost son has returned, Mister Scott <laughs> Hornblower Gardner. 
the prodigal son. Is that is that what you were going for? Yes. Oh, and Lord. we have a special guest with us this time, Mr. J. David Weeder. Yes, and for once, Scott and I are in the same room, thus disproving <laughs> a long-standing conspiracy theory. Unless you're the Flash, and you can be hopping back and forth between microphones. I've got a whole shelf of Flash stuff. You can't prove I'm not. <laughs> and I'll tell you, I, I, I know this is going to be a little out of date when this comes out. That trailer gets better each time I watch it for the Flash TV show. I saw that. That was that was a long trailer too. Uh, that was more like that was like a mini, mi- like a like a mini sode. I mean, was, mm-hmm. I mean they've got uh, you of course saw the reverse flash in there, right? Yeah, and John yeah. Wesley's ship. Mm-hmm. Yep. As that his was dad. that was the moment it got my my buy in. I'm like, yep, no doubt. Set the DVR now. Which I haven't. I started on the first season of Arrow, but I kind of fell by the wayside. Um, I heard it's gotten better. I might go back. I think it's on Netflix. I can try to catch up on it. But by the time I get caught up to, uh, didn't season three just finish? Season two just finished. Oh, season two just finished. Okay. So then probably not too long. Season two will be on Netflix before three starts. So I can get caught up. I don't know if the other two guys, you guys, Paul, do you watch uh, Arrow? Scott, how about you? No, I haven't. I, I watched like the first couple of episodes and it lost my interest pretty quick. Well, it, I heard it kind of that it's changed a little though, ha- hasn't it? Mm-hmm. It snowballs, and season two has definitely taken the ball and run with it. Mm. I mean, it's 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 a very good ongoing narrative. It's not perfect, but it's it's a solid solid show. Yeah, to be fair, I I didn't really give it much of a chance, so I, I at some point I will give it a, another shot. What if Diane Court had never given Lloyd Dobler a chance? <laughs> <laughs> well, then we probably wouldn't be familiar with Peter Gabriel at this point. <laughs> Took me a minute to figure out the reference, and I couldn't come up with anything actually clever to say. So I just had well, to there's... say I just had to say something that let you know I knew what you were talking about. Yes. <laughs> and Scott has gone oddly silent. Oh, I'm, I'm I'm here. I'm just listening. As a matter of fact, what I was doing was uh, I was looking real quick to see if M. Emmett Walsh is still alive. And uh, according to Wiki, he is. So He's one of those guys who's been 70 since the time he became famous. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's, he, yeah. he looks like old and the jerk when he was yeah. in that. <laughs> yeah, and so that's, I'm, what, 30 just, years ago? Yeah. Oh, at See, least, I'm just if thinking if, if he's still around and they've got um, John Wesley Shipp now playing um, the Flash's father, then I would love to see M. Emmett Walsh come in at some point and be his grandfather if there you know, there's ever a need for his grandfather to be in the show. Because he was uh, Barry Allen's father, John Wesley Shipp's father in the CBS Flash series back mm-hmm. in the 90s. And uh, I was a huge fan of that show. I love that show. That show is awesome. We rewatched it over the last summer. Uh, for the most part, it aged really well. I mean, there's still mm-hmm. some flaws in it, but still enjoyed the heck out of those, what, 22 episodes. Absolutely. Well, I wonder if uh, What's-Her-Name is still acting, because I wouldn't mind her, you know, seeing her in there at some point, too. Maybe maybe she, she could be the mom. Yep, uh, she's not playing the mom, but she is. She was on Psych recently because she's married to Corbin Burnson, so she scored oh, okay. uh, um, Amanda. Oh, Amanda oh, Pays. Pays. Yes. Pays. That was it. Yeah, she was kind of hot back in the day. Yeah. I don't know what oh, she yeah, looks like she now. Was. <laughs> Scott's like, yeah. Well, wasn't no, she, she was. on? She was on the uh, the Max Headroom t- show too, wasn't she? Twenty seconds into the future. Yeah, yeah. I think so. 
think she was the doctor on there. I remember some really bad horror movie, and at some point she was like running in a pair of pair of panties and a bra. And I was like, "What is this movie, please?" So I may Google it appropriately. <laughs> I'm thinking the name is Leviathan. Oh yeah, 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 oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Setting up the Netflix skew now. <laughs> I mean, I think... it's, there's no there's no nudity, so sadly. That had oh, Richard Crenna in it, I... right? They found a sunken Russian freighter or ship, and uh, they started drinking the vodka, and the vodka was laced with something that turned everybody into these monsters. There we go. Leviathan, 1989. Starred Peter Weller, Richard Crenna, Amanda <laughs> Pays, Daniel Stern, who played Buzz Sixpack Parish, <laughs> Ernie Hudson. <laughs> Got to have some geek cred with Ernie Hudson in there. Anybody Does he give a summary? Storyline: Un- Underwater deep sea miners encounter a Soviet wreck and bring back a dangerous cargo to their base on the ocean floor with horrifying results. In a story owing, in a story owing a lot to Alien and the Thing, the crew of the mining base must fight to survive against a genetic mutation that hunts them down one by one. I do not remember it being a good movie, but like once I saw her jogging or running or whatever it was in her underwear, it was like, who cares? See, that was the fallout. I, I don't want to say fallout, but that was the result of The Abyss. Because The Abyss came out, and then suddenly you had the plethora of underwater movies. You had Leviathan, and then you had Deep Star 6 with Greg Evigan. And I know there was others. I just can't remember. <laughs> The thing. Remember what does Ben Grimm have to do with Alien? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm completely kidding. Before anybody starts typing the email, I, it I would like to see email to Dave's Daredevil <laughs> podcast. John John Carpenter does a movie about Ben Grimm, the Thing. <laughs> Wilford Brimley is the the lead <laughs> character. <laughs> He's the voice of the Thing. I got rock diabetes. One. When he was in Cocoon and he was playing a senior citizen, he was only like 50 years old. <laughs> yeah, he looked like... <laughs> I'm pretty sure when he was in Cocoon playing a guy in a senior citizen home, he was younger than I am now. We won't go old, we won't ever die. Not that I'm not an old crotchety bastard myself, but that's besides the <laughs> So point. you're now like the same age that... that, that... <laughs> Wolfred Brimley was when he was in Cocoon. Man, you're old. <laughs> he was born in 1934. Cocoon was in, what, 1988? He was yeah. 54. Okay, so he was three years older than I am now. Wow. Oh, it gets better. Let me drop the mic on you. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I defriended somebody on Facebook, a co-worker, because she was talking about Spider-Man and her fan was like, I really like the really old Spider-Man. Oh, like when? Like a Ditko? No, like the 80s. And I'm like, you're gone. Like, I, I pulled out my phone from the drawer. I'm like, no, you're done. <laughs> She's talking like McFarlane era. And I'm like, no, that's not old. That's the really old Spider-Man. And then I realized, yes, it is. That's 25 years old. Damn, Cocoon was in 1985. He was 51 years old. Oh, no. wasn't even. He wasn't even... 54 he was 51 when it came out which means he was like 50 when they were filming it which means he was younger than i am bastard <laughs> well, the, well but what just look at how much better you look at his oh, come on. Age. Now, you know what that's not a fair comparison i look better than you guys and you're younger than me since now, wait when? a minute 
<laughs> I've been working out. <laughs> you know, but you know, I I I I, I try you just got the height and the teeth. That's all you are, height and teeth. I got the hair. I got the hair. <laughs> Ooh, I, I got the can echo back. Stalin, come on. Stalin. <laughs> oh my god. Paul Spataro, Stalin. Paul Spataro as Stalin. I can see that. That's a one man show waiting to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Broadway isn't quite ready for me yet. No, but the two tree freaks feed is. <laughs> <laughs> if we can get a, a bit of uh, Rick Astley for what was it, an 45 minutes to an hour? Oh, that was like two hours. Wasn't you know, it? you know, and I kept Man of Steel. Yeah, that was a good two and a half <laughs> it hours. It was the length of the movie. Oh no! <laughs> you know, I scrolled through that whole thing. So did yeah, I. So did <laughs> I. <laughs> there was something in the middle. I kept like scrolling, just, waiting. For, okay, they're going to end it, and they're going to actually start talking. <laughs> I'm like, you, 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 sons of bitches! I'm an hour and fifteen. I'm, I, I got to go the whole way now and make sure you didn't Somebody. pop up in the middle. Somebody messaged us to say that they actually listened to that shit all the way through to because they were convinced that somewhere in there we would have put something else besides the song. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> never gonna give you up. Never gonna let you go. If we can ever get away with such a trick again, though, I will. I will sneak something in there somewhere just so you have to listen to it. No, the trust is gone now, Scott. <laughs> That's and I actually right. messaged Chris, and I'm like, you know, you magnificent bastard. Well played. And I realized he never messaged me back. And I'm like, I don't think Chris and I are close enough for me to call him a magnificent bastard. <laughs> Chris, Chris will accept that description from anyone. Okay. <laughs> and he, I mean, in fairness, how many people are saying that to him anyway? It's not like he's hearing <laughs> it all the time. All of them. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we talking some X Men or what? No, we're X talking X Factor. Okay. Oh my gosh, X- I feel like I just time traveled back to a mid '80s comic shop. The pretentiousness just the level just kicked <laughs> up to orange. I think this actually may have happened in a comic shop when I was a kid. <laughs> uh, so we got to get Simon Cowell in here and talk yeah, that's what I was Worst comic little... ever. <laughs> no. All right. Well, we got three issues, and we're going to do our uh... three. Three. What? What? Scott didn't bring a book. I did not. I know. I'm just, I just <laughs> get the breaking busts. the rules. You usually the I'm law. the Mister. I didn't. Law. I didn't bring. <laughs> usually, I'm the one that doesn't bring the book and get uh, get picked on mercilessly. That's because it's there's you. a life model decoy to back you up. So. <laughs> yeah. You've, you've already been replaced by a life model decoy twice. And, and Elvin, a cat. And Elvin and once. Elvin. <laughs> <laughs> so just be careful. You're on thin ice, pal. So I saw a video this week of a, of a dog biting a kid and the cat went to attack. And I'm like, I wonder if that is Alvin. Did your kids get bitten by a dog, Bill? <laughs> Alvin, no, Alvin no. Elvin went a to radioactive dog. Alvin <laughs> went to protect him and then collapsed to the ground holding his belly. <laughs> ah, my stomach. Oh. He forgot that he has colitis. <laughs> get irritable bowel syndrome for cats. All right, so. Actually, Alvin's been doing great, which you'll hear in the other episode. Where we, oh, I got that money back, Paul, for the. Uh, what money that back? You, the money that I won. Back oh, yeah. Oh, good. For the braces that I said, you know, balanced out Alvin's care. And then mm. you're like, no, it didn't. You put braces on a cat's teeth? 
<laughs> That's why he got the money back. <laughs> what do you mean they won't he fit just, on the cast He just now. paid to get the braces. <laughs> and I told him he should get a refund. Shoving the braces on the kit. Come on. <laughs> I feel ridiculous brushing my dog's teeth. She, she no. has an underbite. She has an underbite. I feel ridiculous smelling my dog's breath. Why are you smelling your dog's anyway? Because he because he'll climb up under the couch and he sits down and he breathes and it stinks. <sighs> yes, uh, Paul hates when pets breathe around him. He'd rather they you know go away. <laughs> no. He wants zombie pets. I am known as an Alvin as an Alvin and as a animal lover on Two True Freaks. <laughs> Send all Peter hate mail too. <laughs> so our first issue. <laughs> He's already on all kinds of watch lists. Just, just let him go. <laughs> I'll, I'll explain the braces thing later, Jay. <laughs> Did you call me Jason? I said Jay, David. Right, but oh. it, I kind of faded in the middle of my own. <laughs> it sounded like Jason to me. I don't I mean, Jay, Jay, Jay. Yeah, but Bill, you can call me Dave. Oh, I, I just, uh, I'm, I'm looking at your name and the flashing up. It says Jay David. Is, so, uh, is the J a secret? I'll... Like we can't know what it stands for. Like, no, like we don't know what H secret. stands for. Well, now it is now. Now, now that you've put that in that category, okay. No, I've I've mentioned what it stands for on a show. You, you have, just have I, to find it. I'm not. I'm not looking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it can stay a mystery. Job. Jerk. Job. <laughs> Think of a famous actor with the last name Renner. Jace. Jeremy? Okay. Well, that's, yeah. <laughs> that was tough to figure out. Exactly. I, yeah, and I got it on the second one. <laughs> J. J. David Renner. <laughs> so our first oh, issue. first book yeah what are we doing here <laughs> i picked x factor number 14 from march of 1987 at this point wilford brimley was 54 years old <laughs> <laughs> it had a cover price of 75 cents and the cover is drawn by walt simonson did and you ever pick on him on the playground by by any chance? Wilford Brimley? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And the cover shows a kind of buck-toothed <laughs> sentinel grabbing Cyclops in his big grip, and Cyclops is shooting his, <laughs> his hand while that's going on. title of our story is called The Mutant Program. It's written by Louise Simonson, penciled by Walt Simonson. I think think he needs braces. (laughs) Inked by Bob Wojciech, colored by Petra Scotis, lettered by Joe Rosen, and edited by Bob Harris. Paul, we have Simon and Simonson. If you don't put the Simon and Simon theme under this, I'm going to be heartbroken. Done. Done. Okay. (laughs) Where are we going? You get that, don't you? A little bit. That was from Simon and Simon. We'll be back in a moment. Where are we going? That was always when they cut out to the commercials. Anyway. I'm still laughing at Cyclops shooting in the guy's hand, so. Ow. All right. Oh, yeah, we didn't do that. Okay, once again. Long ago, he was a sentinel. Now he is simply the master mold. Once, he was a mutant-hunting robot imprinted with the brain engrams of his creator, Stephen Lang. Once, he believed himself to be Lang, but Mastermold realized his mistake too late, and Lang's flawed human reasoning destroyed him. Now, Mastermold has recreated himself from the scraps of this world. He is a ruthless, intelligent, deadly-killing machine. 
All that remains of Lang is his obsession and his purpose, to find the 12 mutants who will lead, around whom the others will gather. Lang discovered them, Master Mold will destroy them. And so, Master Mold is attempting to track down Cyclops, and he detected a blast of incredible mutant power in Anchorage, Alaska. He comes to the conclusion that all men are tainted with mutant cells, or mutated cells, excuse me, and possess the X-Factor. And so he destroys a truck carrying a load of gasoline, along with the driver and a passenger with a single laser blast. Meanwhile, Scott Summers is having a pity party in the rubble that used to be his home, which he apparently destroyed with his optic blasts. He's visited by a hallucination of Professor Xavier, who, ma who makes Scott realize what a mess he's made of his life, and tells him to sort himself out. You know, because Professor Xavier is so together and such a paradigm of proper behavior, and not really much of a douche himself. The police arrive and decide to take Scott into custody, and Scott allows them to cuff him. When they search him, they find pictures of Jean and Madeline, Scott's wife and his guma. And they're surprised when Scott tells them that they're two different people. At this point, Scott bursts into tears. My theory is he realized that if you're going to cheat on your wife, it's pretty stupid to do it with a person that she was cloned from. I mean, come on, how about a little bit of variety, you know? Cue to, <laughs> cue to the X, or cut to the X-Factor compound, where Boom Boom, who looks an awful lot like a female Johnny Bravo, tells Rusty and Skids <laughs> that she doesn't have to train anymore because she doesn't need any help controlling her powers. I'm sure that nothing could go wrong with that attitude, right? Right? <laughs> anyway, she changes her mind when she hears that Iceman is the one who's going to be training her because... Val Kilmer? No. <laughs> going to the danger zone, Goose. <laughs> it's the Iceman, Bobby Drake, because he's oh. dreamy. At this point, they start gossiping about Scott, Gene, and Madeline. Anyway, to Boom Boom's disappointment, Hank, who's drawn to look an awful lot like Colossus, indicates that he's going to train her instead of Bobby. Back in Alaska, Scott is taken, being taken away by the police when, a, when the squad car is suddenly attacked by Master Mold. When one of the officers tries to shoot at Master Mold, the robot kills him by vaporizing him down just to bones, kind of like Wolverine in the Days of Future Past comic. Scott loses his glasses in the crash, but tries an uncontrolled optic blast and cuts off one of Master Mold's hands. Scott asks the surviving officer to give him his, the visor that he confiscated earlier, but the officer refuses to give it up since he doesn't trust Scott either. Scott tries another uncontrolled blast, but it bounces off Master Mold and nearly strikes some bystanders. Ultimately, this causes the officer to remove Scott's handcuffs and give him his visor. For reasons that escape me, Scott decides that he has time to change into his uniform at this point and gets blasted. Back in New York, Bobby and Jean are visiting with Warren, whose wings are in traction. Suddenly, Trish Tibley of WARC News bursts into the room and questions Warren regarding his involvement with X-Factor, a subpoena to face fraud charges in federal court, and the fact that his wings are getting gangrene. Jean demands that Trish leave, and they refuse, so Jean uses her power to disable the camera. Hospital security removes the reporters, and Warren has a pity party of his very own. Back in Alaska, we see Scott has survived Master Mold's blast, which makes really no sense since the first cop was basically atomized, and why would he hold back on shooting Scott? But anyway, Scott uses his blast to totally destroy Master Mold's body. However, as Scott and the cop sit and exposit on Scott's current life situation, the T-1000 resurrects itself, sort of, and chases them into an oil refinery. 
The officer refuses to leave Scott's side, so Scott's give, Scott gives him an atomic elbow to the head and drafts, drags him off to safety. Master Mold grabs Scott with its one hand and doesn't bother to crush him, but instead allows him to blast free. Scott starts to brag how he disarmed Master Mold's last weapon when Master Mold proves him wrong with an atomic loogie. This leaves Scott trapped under Master Mold's severed hand, and at this point Master Mold fires a blast, causing the oil tank to explode and destroy himself, but in an O. Henry type irony, Scott is somehow protected from the blast by the hand that he's pinned under. Scott rants and raves about how great he is when he's pulled free by the officer who says that Scott's house was destroyed by Master Mold, and he won't be arresting him anymore. Scott mentions Maddie, and the officer tells him that he has something at the police station that he has to see. Meanwhile, back in New York, Warren is now being operated on, and somehow Gene and Bobby must have been out getting coffee because they didn't notice that this was going on and ask the doctor what's happening. The doctor hands them a court order that has ruled Warren as incompetent, and he is being forced, or the hospital is being forced to amputate his wings. To be continued. And that's the end of that issue. You know mm-hmm. what's at the police stations a lot like. Have you ever seen the movie Seven? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. He's yeah. Scott's gonna find out what's in the box. Gene's Spoilers. head. <laughs> Pretty close. Madeline's head. Well, Ooh, I'm not gonna completely spoil box. it. I want to <laughs> entice people to read it. All right. Well, I I think you know despite the fact that I was making fun of some of the things in it, I think this is a great issue. I loved reading this. One. I was wondering about that actually. <laughs> I was pleasantly surprised, but then again, I realized as soon as I opened, I'm like, "Oh, the the Simonsons." Mm-hmm. Like this is back mm-hmm. when Walter Simonson could draw like you wouldn't believe. Yeah, well, this I, I know a long time ago. I remember having a conversation with Scott about Simonson and saying, "There's so many things about his art style that I shouldn't like. There's mm-hmm. you know all sorts of s- scratchy cross hatching and loose drawing and stuff that that just isn't my style, and yet somehow he makes it work." Mm-hmm. This almost seems like a combination of his style and John Byrne. Yeah, I can see that. It almost seems like he was using Byrne as a house style and adapting his own style to it. And and I really love the way it looks, except for Boom Boom, who just looks like somebody who you want to smack. Boom Boom, shake the room. I never really cared for her look, but I liked her as a character. I'll be honest with you. I, I will fess up to that. I actually liked all these guys because at some point, um, right around this time, there was that, um, what was the name? It was an eight issue. Fallen Angels. Fallen Angels. I actually dug that. I, mm-hmm. I don't know why exactly, but uh, but I owned that at one time and I, I really enjoyed it. I, I liked some of those characters a lot better than I ever liked, like say like the new mutants, which was a team that never quite gelled for me. Whereas the fallen angels actually did. I liked most of them. I think just cause their powers are, were a little more interesting or, you know, at least some of them like boom, boom, you know, she could make the little, uh, you know, explosive blasts and everything. And I like skids. The idea, she was kind of like rogue in reverse because rogue could never touch people. Because if she did, you know, she would, you know, suck the life force out of him and all that. Whereas Skids was the other way around. She could never touch anybody because she had this, uh, like, aura, like a force field around her that she didn't know how to control. So it was on all the time. Like, kind of like uh, Unis the Untouchable. Yeah. Yes. Mm. So I thought that Except was not cool. a total tool. Sorry for you, Eunice fans out there. 
<laughs> Both of you. <laughs> oh, Eunice. I thought you said anus. <coughs> Sorry. Uh, well, no, no. Anus, the untouchable. That's well, always it, untouchable. Wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it be really, you know, cool if Boom Boom actually had her explosive power come out of a butt? <laughs> well, I know that's how mine works. <laughs> but just Emergency just... blow. <laughs> I start heading to the bathroom. The sirens start going. People start going into their basements. Especially on Sloppy Joe Day. I know that. Uh, that <laughs> I, I want to see how Scott some... brings us out of that. <laughs> oh. I know I had read some some X Men, you know, prior to this and everything, and I, I of course knew who most of the characters in this were. But having never been much of an X Men fan at the time when the X Men were were really huge, and this book being uh, out in uh, the late '80s and everything. This actually informed a lot of, uh, you know, what I came to know about Cyclops in particular. And it's one of the reasons I always liked him is that here, you know, yeah, he's, he's having some real problems and everything. But he's still, at the end of the day, he's a hero. And uh, I think as a kid, I didn't, you know, because this is pretty much where I jumped in was with this issue. And I think it's because the Simonson cover grabbed me on this. So one of the reasons I didn't bring a book tonight is that, you know, I was going to pick probably this book. I was looking through early Simonson issues and was thinking about this one and a couple of other ones and probably would have gone with this one because I'm pretty sure this was my first issue of X Factor. And when I realized that Paul had already picked this one and I sat down to look at it, I was like, oh, yeah, that's that issue. And it all came back to me. It's been a long time since I've looked at any of this stuff. So I, I had fond memories of the era, but without really remembering specifics of stories or anything. And I really like this. And I, I don't think I would have gleaned enough of the story from this one issue to realize that Cyclops had abandoned his family, you know, his wife and his child, which was one of the things that retroactively made me kind of sour on the character because I just think that that's a pretty lousy thing to do. But here he seemed a little more noble in, you know, in what he was doing, you know, with going to, you know, he was really torn up about, you know, what had happened to his family and everything. And of course, that conclusion to this issue, that cliffhanger ending, I really like because Angel, I couldn't tell you why. But Angel is a character I've always liked. I've always thought he was really cool. Mostly, I guess, probably for his outfit. I always thought he had a really great superhero outfit. Whether it was the blue or the red, I liked them both. Mm -hmm. And this cliffhanger ending of, you know, his wings have just been amputated. Uh, it was just powerful stuff at the time. And I remember that storyline being really good, too, right up through where they... Uh, they made him the uh, Archangel, which I thought was pretty cool stuff, too. And this to this day, I am still trying to get a number 24. I've, I still have never got one because it's always just out of reach price-wise for me. Which one's 24? Oh, never mind. Got it. First Archangel. Yeah, I just mm. happened to look at it. See, I came in uh, kind of like you, Scott. It's weird that you say that because I started to get to know the X-Men through X-Factor. I, I came in with issue 7, which Simonson was still writing it, but... I love the idea of X Factor, not, you know, kind of understanding that these five were the originals. Right. But they had this really great gimmick that by day they were pretending to be mutant hunters. They were this right. agency that was hunting them down, and by night they were protecting them and still doing superheroics. But how stupid is the public? 
Well, yeah, you you have this is... mutant team, and now we have a team of mutant hunters with the exact same powers, and the mutant team is gone. Well, they didn't. Mm. They didn't use the powers in public. No, they used they used machinery, or that would hide it, or you know, mm-hmm. disguise that they were actually using powers. It was it was on the verge of being implausible as far as believability, but still just shy of that. I don't know whether it was by design or dumb luck, but I always thought that it synced up time-wise very well with Ghostbusters had just come out right around this time. And so I kind of looked at them as like the mutant version of the Ghostbusters somehow. I think their costumes are even a little bit reminiscent. Yeah, they did have some packs and like power packs on their back and stuff like that. Yep, mm-hmm. blue jumpsuits, so yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so that really worked for me. I, I didn't really realize it as a kid. Yeah, it is it is kind of dumb, but I bought it. I totally bought it, and I really liked that. And I liked that, uh, like Paul said, it was the original X-Men, which I didn't really know a lot about, but I just liked this idea of it was, hey, it was the, you know, it's the bands back together again. Plus, um, even though I, I have since changed my opinion of the character, one of the big th- selling points for me for this book and why I followed it for, for the time that I did, which wasn't very long, it was pretty much just through Walt Simonson's stint as artist, but one of the reasons I really enjoyed it, no Wolverine. I couldn't stand Wolverine. I, I just, that was one of the big things that put me off uh, the the actual X, you know, Uncanny X-Men book. I just didn't like him. So here was a, a team that I, I love the art, stories were pretty good, I really enjoyed most of the members of the team and everything, and I didn't have to suffer Wolverine, so I, I really dug the book. This was well, the, I, I enjoyed this era. Well, the book played with a lot of things. I mean, Cyclops being in love with the clone of his wife. Well, he doesn't know it's a clone, but basically having the two pictures in his wallet, one of Gene, one of Madeline, and they can't tell the difference, which should have been an indicator. Right. <laughs> but um, you have Beast, who's going to go through changes, and of course the Angel... Basically, this is the precipice of when this book really hits stride. Yes. And I, I it was, you know, I jumped from number seven and came, picked up an issue later down the road and Archangel was in. I'm like, what the hell is this? And somebody had to kind mm. of guide me by the hand and explain this to me. Well, yeah, like the this, facts this is, of life. This, this is the period when the beast has actually gone back to a human form. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, he's going to mutate back down the road. I can't remember what what instigated it but yeah he does go back he, ch- he changes back to the furry blue beast mm-hmm. well they play with yeah. it too because he's still human and if he exerted too much he would end up being losing some of his intellect it was i mean it's really fun what they did with well i wouldn't say fun but it's it's something worth reading to see what they did with him right and then you have you know yeah boom boom grew into a good character but yeah, her look here is, it's like Prince vomited on Johnny Bravo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Whatever I mean, happened I... to these characters, the, the the younger kids that they had taken in? Rusty, uh, Rusty, yeah, Rusty dies, doesn't he? Eventually, but he, they join up with Strife down the road. Rusty and Skids ah. do. Boom Boom becomes Boomer. She becomes part of X-Force. and Well, New Mutants and then X-Force. And I'm not sure when the transitioned over to the Mike Allred stuff. I'm not sure what happened to some of the core characters there. Hmm. So, so skids went bad. Yeah. They, they aligned with strife, uh, and his magneto on crack view of things. Huh. 
the on the on the the page where they first come on uh, in the up, upper right hand panel, she kind of looks like what I picture Aunt May look, would look like as a young woman. <laughs> <laughs> but Aunt May like, was yeah. never a young woman. So Aunt May's like Wilford Brimley. Yeah, yeah pretty exactly. much. <laughs> oh, let's not get started on that again. He was only 50 <laughs> years old when they filmed Cocoon. <laughs> 50. How old are you, Paul? 51. Mm. I'm Wilford Brimley plus one. <laughs> yes, you are. So let's put you next to Gutenberg and Don Amici and see what happens. That won an Oscar, didn't it? Uh, not Cocoon? for best picture. That's I for don't sure. think so. It may have won some sort of a screenplay Oscar or something like that. Some of the scenes for that were filmed down here in, uh, I think it was off of St. Pete or Clearwater, and people were freaking out because they had all these lights and stuff that were going on out in the water, um, you know, from the end scene where the where, where the alien ships come down, and nobody knew. Oh, what? The, well, oh, it's uh, for the filming of a movie. Don't worry. Blah blah blah. And then and then later, Cocoon came out. So pretty cool i i remember it as a as a young kid mr <laughs> paul well when they made that movie i was not 50 <laughs> you were 49 <laughs> <laughs> a page <Time> three sucks <laughs> page three uh did you notice the sound effect crack a crack a thum crack a thum sure i did, say, crack -a -thum. I did catch that it looks like BJ and the Bear are hauling a, a something for Star Labs. <laughs> or some Russian fuel. Boom! <laughs> Poor Bear. Uh, I think yeah, one no. of the... Uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think one of the things that also really worked for me in this, and I don't think I consciously realized it at the time, is the uh, the Simonson art, and at this time it would have been a, a considerable while since he had been on Star Wars, and he has definitely grown as an artist. I can see the changes in his style, but still, in a lot of ways, with this being the master mold and him doing a lot of transforming and being this giant mechanical thing chasing uh, Cyclops around. It reminds me a lot of uh, Star Wars issue 51 where Luke was fighting the uh, Scout Walker on the, on the mud planet there. So I, it's just, I, I think visually that's par probably part of the thing that sucked me in just because it was, you know, this artist that I'd enjoyed so much on that run of comics. I've always been a Simonson Mark though. I really like his stuff. I, I'm not sure exactly when I, when I discovered uh, Simonson, but this is, uh, you know, right in that wheelhouse of stuff that I really enjoyed from him. You know, Scott, it's your fault I have a huge run of Simon. Well, you and Michael Bailey, because you inspired me to buy Simonson runs uh, Simonson's run of Thor. Bailey sold it to me. Thank you for being an enabler. <laughs> You're welcome. I'm I'm so overdue to reread that stuff too. I love Simonson's Thor. I, I really need to to reread that at some time. You know, what's funny is I was looking uh, through some information today on X factor. Cause I haven't taken a look at these old issues in a long, long time. And there's an issue. I'm not sure what the issue number is that it's either just after Simonson's run or it's, it may even be during Simonson's run where Thor is in the book. 
But for some reason, I don't think Simonson actually does that issue. I think it's actually Steve Lytle. And I'm wondering what the case was with that. It's like, I wonder if they like set that up for months to have this crossover and then it come along and he just wasn't available to do that actual issue or some, you know, some weird thing like that. But I was always waiting to see if he, uh, if he would do some sort of a crossover between Thor and, uh, and X factor. And I, I think Thor appeared at some point, but I don't think there was ever like an actual crossover. At least I don't believe so. Well, that was the conversation killer. <laughs> yeah, no, I was that, trying that to think was... something that it turns to out to uh, Apocalypse's ship. I can't remember if it's oh, yeah. Thor. I think he made a cameo, but not a full yeah. on. Uh, the the yeah. one I'm thinking of is right. So Professor hmm. X shows up, and I love that this completely accidentally, you know, foretells something that's coming in our current era. Because Scott's one day going to kill Professor X. And it's all starting here. Mark this in your calendar. <laughs> well, that and the fact that Professor X has been macking on Jean Grey forever. Well, that was weird because, yeah, he talks in, what was it, issue one or two about, oh, I love Jean Grey. And then that's dropped until Onslaught happens. But you're telling me all this time you've been holding this uh, this hard on for Jean Grey like the rest of us. That's creepy. I'm sorry. I don't care who you are. Professor <laughs> X is a creepy, creepy dude. He, he mind wipes people left and right. Who knows? He might have mind wiped you. We could. You ever see the movie Sleepers? Could be happening right now and you don't even know it. <laughs> Give away I was my if somebody was going to get that. <laughs> it's been a while. I'm trying to think. That was with uh, Sleepers. Was that the one? No, that's not Brad, that. Brad Pitt, um, Kevin Bacon. Oh, okay, that was that one with the people. Everybody uh, and, and my brother. Is that the one with? No. <laughs> no, that's where they die, right? They go to the edge of death and they come back. No, no, no. no. That's flatliners. <laughs> flatliners, flatliners, sleepers. Eh. No, this is the one where where there was the. Uh... Was it a security guard or a, it's a security guard or something of that who nature? Who basically that, molests them, and they eventually find out he's a homeless guy and take their revenge. Revenge. Just, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but now that I've explained the joke, you've kind of killed it, Bill. Wah wah. So are are uh, Angel's wings completely bandaged when he's in the hospital? Like his entire wings are bandaged. No wonder they're gangrene. There's no blood getting to him. They're well, cutting off no, all the circulation. He was crucified, dude. He they crucified him by his wings. Well, yeah, I remember that. That was in uh, da, 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 da. was that an X Men book? That was, that was in, in the X Men book. Yeah. There was a yeah. Yeah, that was in that was the Paul Smith run, right? It was like one sixty nine or something. One sixty nine, like yeah. That. He's he's, <laughs> he's pinned up on the wall, and uh, Storm has to go to bat and become the leader of the Morlocks by fighting Callisto. Right. I think. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But I just—it's just weird that his like, but he was only crucified on certain points of the wings. It's like all the way down to his shoulder. It's Infections all bandaged have a up. Way of spreading though. Yeah, mm. it's weird. They're like a virus of some kind. They spread. Mm. I'm not a doctor. I just play one on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> if, any, if any of the listeners are seeking you out for medical <laughs> advice, God help. No, they're not fully bandaged because I'm looking at page. 
15, the top left corner, you do see that, the, no, it might be bandages. I thought they were like feathers. bandage all the way yeah, down. Because then when he's on the operating table, they're not bandaged, bandaged at all. They're all up in the air. They just removed the exacto I mean, knife. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Damn, I, that was issue 169, too. I looked it up. Holy cow. How did I know that? 69. <laughs> that must be it. So, uh, was it page eighteen of the art? Page nineteen of the of the P, the the PDF. The uh, the Sentinel has become the spider head creature from John Carpenter's The Thing, and he's given us the big finger. <laughs> <laughs> Whose head was on that spider? Oh, was it Wolfram Brimley? <laughs> no, no, because Wolfram Brimley was holed up in the shack. Mm. He was worried about space diabetes. <laughs> Which unfortunately See, he'd this, already contracted. Is this the beginning of Cyclops having the hoodless cowl or the hoodless visor? I didn't like the hoodless visor. Really? The the with the you know with the uh, mask that would go up to his forehead and then stop and have the open top. Yeah. I, I didn't like that look. But I've, well, it reminded me of this because normally he had the full hood on. Did you prefer the hood? Yeah. Oh, okay. Skull cap, if you will. Skull, Skull cap, cap, yeah. Yeah, I, I prefer that. And, and I really hated it when they did it with Jean Grey, when she had that headpiece thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and again, it brings the room to a crashing halt. So I'm giving this a B plus, by the way. It's it's not a world-changing A book, but otherwise it's so good that I'm giving it a B plus. Art and story. What? You mean you can't give it a higher grade for that awesome Friar Tuck haircut on the cop on page 17? <laughs> I I almost thought they burned the top of his hair off the way that looked. It, uh, <laughs> looks, but, but, but then I went back to, no, he never took a blast to the head. So, no, he's fine. Uh, I'm going to give it a B minus. I still think this is a solid, solid issue, but it, it kind of serves as a, a prologue to bigger things to come. It does, but I think it stands on its own, and that's why I'm willing to, yeah. to go as high as the B+. The art stands out, though. I mean, the, the characters are vibrant. They're expressive. It's, I mean, on that part, it's out of the park. So I'll give the art a B+. So I'll average it out to a B. Solid B. Right, yeah. Bill, what do you think? B+, because the I would give the cover almost like an A-, and then the rest of the book, art-wise... B plus and then the story about a B minus. I mean, I don't remember. I mean, it's been so long since I've read these, but uh, I mean, I, I remember the general gist of what happens and who actually, you know, set up to get his wings removed and such like that. But we don't want to spoil all that. Well, is not Master Mold also part of that plan? Wasn't his his new uh, basically his mission based on that person's influence? Possibly because well, I don't know if that person became mechanically inclined. We'll say until later. Oh, like I, come on, we're talking about a story from twenty years ago. <laughs> just okay. just spoil it. It's Cameron Hodge. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but he he was human Cause, first. Because anybody who doesn't know what is right now is saying, "Oh, Cameron Hodge, of course." <laughs> <laughs> we say enough of this tiptoeing around it. 
<laughs> Jeez. Okay. All right. Enough. Enough already. All right. Well, what's in the box then? I don't remember what's in the box at the police station. Well, Jean Grey's it, head. Cheerios. It's Madeline. It's Madeline. It's Madeline's head. He's gonna. He's gonna. Well, and the rest. Madeline's of her not dead. dead. Body. She's not dead. She's the Goblin Queen. Yeah. Eventually, it, she gets better. Yeah. <laughs> what do they reattach her head? She's only mostly dead. <laughs> Tis but a I like how you're wound. in denial, Bill. That's adorable. <laughs> you just pulled a Luke Skywalker. That's not true. That's impossible. <laughs> Bill was going to go to Tashi Station. <laughs> I was going to pick up some cops with the power converters. converters. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uncle Owen. Yeah. Uncle Weeder. And Aunt Gardner. <laughs> Wait, why are we the ones that get charbroiled? Hey, man, Paul's a producer. He's Darth Vader. Because I'm already okay. dust, apparently. <laughs> Darth Because I'm going to be taken out quickly by diabetes. <laughs> Obi-Wan Spataro. <laughs> I, I guess now it's to you, Scott. <laughs> what? <laughs> what did you What's say? What's your score? Oh, my score. Uh, let's see here. What are we what are we doing it by art, by story and by what? Whatever the hell you want. <laughs> well, you you did 3 of them. So it was it was art, story and what? Cover was that the other one? Well, yeah, but that was I just kind of that's what yeah. I mean, you you can you can do it that way. Somebody just ride a motorcycle through the living room? <laughs> I thought that's like the was. phantom cow or something. <laughs> what the hell was that? I don't know, but I'm scared. It's probably now. If Bill looks to it behind him, he's going to see Alvin dragging a cow in by its neck. (laughs) Oh, I'm situated in my garage, and everything—the garage door is to the back of me. So that's the—it was a motorcycle that went by on the street. But yeah, it was a phantom cow. Yeah, sorry. We have a lot Uh, of phantom cow troubles out here. So Scott, what's your rating? <laughs> the art, I'm gonna give a straight up A. I really, really, really enjoyed the art in this. Love Simonson. Uh, this is Simonson, like right at the top of his game. I really dug this. Um, the story, yeah, I, I think B plus is a good way to go. And I, I really enjoyed the story. I think it's got some great characterization. I think it's got some great character in it too. Um, like I said, it was my introductory issue and it gave me pretty much everything I needed to just dive right into the story without really knowing who most of these people were. And it has, uh, uh just a great cliffhanger ending, which I mean, you know, come on a, a jobs comic, uh, yeah, a jobs, comic, a comics job rather, you know, the, the writer's job is to get you not only to pick up the issue, and buy it, but then want to continue with the story. This one definitely makes me want to continue with the story. It did then, and it does now, because it's been so long since I've read this. It's like, I, I'm trying to remember what happens. You know, who, what, you know, where's all this go? So, yeah, I might just actually have to sit down and reread <laughs> this run again, because this was good stuff. I really, really dug it. And I want to give you a little sh- credit also on it, because, as I was saying, you know, it, by all by all rights, I should not be as big a fan of Simonson's work as I am because it is kind of scratchy and you know lacks some defining quality once in a while. So I got I think I got to give some credit to uh, Bob Wyacek for his inking work mm-hmm. because he really did make it clean. Yeah, he did. This was this was Wyacek in his I finally got my shit together phase because 
he was in, by his own admission, he was in a very experimental phase uh, during his work on Star Wars for Marvel. And you can see, literally, from issue to issue, sometimes from page to page, that he was just playing around. And by this time, he had refined his style, and I think it looks really good. This issue here, there's a lot of pages, especially the last page, that actually remind me a lot of uh, Terry Austin, who I think is one of the great inkers. Absolutely. So, I mean, he, he finally refined his, uh, his style, and it looks really solid in this issue. Except when he went on a Zipatone run, like we were talking about in uh, two episodes ago, or three episodes ago, whatever it was. Who's that, Austin or Austin. Wycheck? When was that? He he would do it with Burns work. He would just grab the Zipatone and start running wild on things. And mm-hmm. there was one it, an issue we did a uh, Bill Bill myself and Mike Bailey did it. And uh, there was one oh, like yeah. like like one of them. Had, I don't know if it was Banshee or Scott who had like a checkered suit on, and it just looked so bad the way he had done it. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh. You know it, it he it just it just made like a clean checkered pattern which didn't allow for any bends in the suit movement in the body it was totally two-dimensional it was it was badly done Hmm. but that's one of the very few complaints i could ever make about austin because his work is usually awesome cool all right we might as well go on to our next book then is that me i think that's you My selection and the first one that came to mind was X-Factor number 87. Uh, Just to set it up, this is a completely different lineup from the team after everybody left X-Factor to go to the X-Men books. So on the cover, we have the new lineup. Havoc, Polaris, Wolfsbane, Strong Guy. Yes, his name's really Strong Guy. Multiple Man and Quicksilver facing down this unseen foe. And this is going to break the pattern because I'm going to have a very short synopsis. The anti-Bill Robinson synopsis. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The second iteration of X-Factor. Well, basically, I'll explain why in a moment. But the second iteration of X-Factor take their turn seeing an unseen or talking to an unseen therapist. And after each mutant soul is laid bare, FBI liaison Val Cooper gets the assessment. The team is normal. They're professionally human. So Val storms off, uh, she gets overtaken by some weird hentai tentacles, and the therapist is revealed to be Leonard Sampson. That's my total synopsis, mainly because it's just, it's easier to discuss this book than to break it down, because that would be a very long, strenuous synopsis. Like, con level. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Just to mention who wrote it, Peter David, a.k.a. Pad. Uh, Joe Quezada made his debut on art. Uh, Al Milgram was inking him. Uh, letters by uh, Richard Starkings. Colors by Marie Javins. So this was the 90s iteration. Had you guys ever read this run? Mm-hmm. I had read this particular issue before because I don't recall where, but somewhere I had seen something where they had talked about this issue and uh, when Quicksilver was talking to Samson and his description of why, basically why he's such a douche. And, uh, and, and I remember I picked up the issue based on that, and I, I have always enjoyed this one. Yeah. I, I, I think it really showed, you know, Peter David really did a good job of making each character have depth and emotion and, and you know, just not be a cookie-cutter character, which, you know, 
face it, in, in, in a lot of comic books, some of the characters are. Yeah. And see, I remember getting this off the stand and thinking it was lackluster until I thought about it later and thought about some of the revelations for the characters. I'm like, you know, wow, that really stood out in this run. It's far better than Random, whose hand turns into a gun. <laughs> yeah, I vaguely remember him. But it's, it's definitely a product of the 90s. We open with a Ren and Stimpy bit, which is kind of not only funny on its own right, but they use Feral from X-Force, which is a pretty blatant uh, Wolfsbane knockoff. Mm-hmm. And they're happy, happy, joy, joy is now mutant, mutant, angst, angst. <laughs> mutant, mutant, angst, angst, mutant, angst, angst. <laughs> but I, I, I like also that, like, every one of them, well, not every one of them, but most of them are being misinterpreted by us, by other people. Mm-hmm. You know, all, all the insecurities that the women have and, it, oh, no, she seems totally confident, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, you know, Guido is... Uh, you know, he, he's always joking around. People think he, you know, he can't be hurt. Meanwhile, he's in constant pain. Yeah, this is that's this is the issue that turned me into a lifelong Guido fan. It's, Not only was he fun, but then you realize, oh, my God, he is so I don't want to say deep because I think that's cliche, but he's he's a very nuanced character. Yeah, and it's sometimes with things like that, you wonder if they were created with that in mind or if it's just something that they ran with later, you know? To try and create depth for them. Well, with Guido, he had, I mean, he was Leela Cheney's bodyguard. And when they started this version of X-Factor, he was fairly, uh, pretty much a blank slate that Peter David had to run with. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, it was just, it knocked me on my, and I'd been reading the run. I mean, we covered it over on Pat Smash. We didn't make it this far yet. But it was something where retroactively I had to go back and reread what had come before um, some things track perfectly, rain specifically. Some things kind of came out of nowhere, like Lorna. Yeah, she suddenly has uh, a eating disorder mm-hmm. or a weight problem. And see, up to this point, she had gotten her jaw broken. She mentions getting it wired, and she mentioned, well, to help mm-hmm. me lose weight, and that was about it. But now she's a character who, you know, she was introduced in, I think, X-Men number 50. Yeah, like 49 or... So she's been around for a long, long time, but she really had no personality to speak of. No, she borrowed other people's had forced on her. Her her big thing was that, you know, Iceman was in love with her and she rejected him and went with Havoc. That was it. Mm -hmm. She was the poor man's Jean Grey. Well, didn't she also have the on-again, off-again, I'm Magneto's daughter, I'm not Magneto's daughter, oh yes, I am Magneto's daughter for thing going on for a while, too? She, she sure did. Yeah, she was originally introduced as Magneto's daughter, and then somehow they did a DNA test that proved nothing, but that they said, oh yeah, that means she's not. <laughs> and then they went back to one point that she was, and I don't even know where she's I at I think now. currently she is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was my she might be today. That might change tomorrow. It could. But you, you pointed out Quicksilver, and this was, this is how I grew to like him because I thought he was just a straight douche for he no was, reason. He and was a douche. Well, yeah, but now you understand why, and you almost sympathize with him. And and even though it's kind of a, a retcon because you know no one ever said anything like that until this issue, it almost seems to make sense in his entire history. Yeah, that he moves so fast. That everything around him is like, uh, let me give you the comparison. Somebody at the ATM who doesn't know how to work the machine. And, and you have to wait in line to... behind them. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And you feel like saying, come on, press that Come button. on. <laughs> come on, let's go. 
or somebody in the 10 items or less line that you know have about 20 items. And yes, I was counting. I always count. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> you got to love his fashion sense, though. The suit with the uh, with the sneakers. Well, yeah, he's got to run. He moves fast. He's got to have something that's not going to burn. I burn. Unstable molecules. Not everybody can afford the license, Paul. I guess so. <laughs> Sometimes I don't know if you could torrent unstable molecules, but that could be uh, something to be thought about. I, I, I'm not thrilled with the artwork in this, but there is the occasional panel that I like. Yeah, the art is just up and down. Like some I like, and then others are just really. Woof. The uh, the shot of Quicksilver on page eight of the book, where he's you know it's it, he's in the harsh light. Mm-hmm. He fades he, out too much. He looks like Ian McKellen. <laughs> and considering that's supposed to be his father, I think that's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's retroactive art. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Kazada had an in. Yeah. And of course, the, the, there's a puzzle that he puts together that's a snail. With a big <laughs> Not smile so on puzzling his face. now. Yeah. <laughs> we get a pun. Well, I think Samson knew what that puzzle was when he put it there. I don't think Doc that Samson's was. Samson's a smart guy. Yeah. Yeah. He tricked, tricked Dr. Banner into becoming. Uh, creating a whole new persona. <laughs> no. No, he did not. I will fight yeah. you on this. That was a merging. It's not another mer- persona. It's a merging of multiple personas. So if you merge something and it becomes different, that's a new persona. That's it's just no a mixture. Lo- it's, it's, no, it's, it's no longer the, the original. If you take... It's a mixture, but it's no longer the original thing. You, you can't easily separate the components back out. Like if you take, uh, if you take orange juice and vodka and mix it together to make a screwdriver, it's pretty damn hard to take them both out again and make them separately orange juice and vodka. So I would but, argue that it's a new persona. But it's, not a, it's a new persona, but not a separate one? Agree to disagree at that point? Yeah, I'll agree with okay. that, because it's okay. all in his head anyway. Yeah, yeah, okay. What were we talking okay. about? I don't know. <laughs> Let's talk about Lorna. Mm. Oh, I, yeah. I like both. I like the sweatpants and the the, the baggy T-shirt because that's like angsty '90s, you know. Jeff Campbell, Party of Five, mm. Melrose Place, mm. and then at, at the end when she's in the uh, the the power dominatrix outfit or whatever that is. Oof. Dear God, I hate that costume. I hate it so much. <laughs> I like the boots that go all the way up to her. Um. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's hope it doesn't. They don't chafe. Oof. Ouch. Yeah, well, what, kind of, I mean, that, that is not an outfit you put on to fight crime. A, sure it is. Maybe she needs to go hip-waiting in some water and, or something. And, and look, look at the way she's standing. Look at her feet. Her feet. She, she's on her toes. She has no, no heels. heels the, they're in busy heels. Look how heels. she's standing, though. She's got these Sue Storm line of shoes. Invisi shoes. What's up with that? No, that's, I mean, yeah, sexy drawing, yes. Good costume, no. No. Well, it's kind of sad, too. This is two issues before Peter David left the book, and it's one issue after the whole um, Executioner song storyline. Hmm. And, you know, the, the thing that pretty much put David over the edge, and he's planting so much stuff that could have been great 
that he's not going to be around to really see through. Not in this iteration of X Factor, at least. Did he revisit a lot of this in the uh, when he came back to it years later? When he came back to Volume Two, he redid a sequence like this where the character sat down and talked to Doc Sampson, and it was ju- almost as good. And it did feel a little bit like a rehash, but a good rehash. And I mean, at 15, I was really put off by this issue because you're waiting for the villain to show up. You're waiting for the superhero action. And it's it's a character study all the way through. And that wasn't really done that much in the 90s, especially at Marvel and the X-Books. All right. So how are you ranking this one? I'm going to give it an A minus. Because it stayed with me all these years. I'm giving it a, I'm giving the story a solid A. I think this is, I, I love the way this is written. I'm giving the artwork a C minus. Uh, so I'm, I'm going with a, with a B for an overall grade. I can't argue with the art. <laughs> the art's pretty frustrating. Yeah, the art brings us down. I'm, I'm, I'm going along that line too, that it's, it's, this book overall is going to fall in a B range. You know, A for story, C for art. Even though it's got a couple of good panels, but overall it just takes me out too much on on certain panels. Like the um, the other one that just seems so out of place is the um, the Jamie Madrox stuff. I don't know; he just looks really weird. Just he's, more than he's got hair that looks like it it can move on its own accord. Yeah, he <laughs> could be Medusa's son. Yeah. <laughs> Did we lose Wolford Brimley? <laughs> No, no, I'm right here. <laughs> no, the other Wilfred Brimley. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Wilfred no, H. Brimley. I'm, I'm here. I, I was just listening. Um, this is my, uh, honestly, this is my first exposure to this era. I have a lot of these issues, including this particular issue, and I have never read them. Um, as much of a, a Peter David fan as I am, I, I really enjoy his writing and all. I, I guess, in a lot of ways, I... I I'm still first and foremost an art guy most of the time when it comes to comics. And if I can't get into the art or get past the art, then it's, it's tough for me to get into a book or a run or something on a comic. And this one, of the three we're doing tonight, this was the tough one for me. But I ended up, I really enjoyed the story. So I, you know, I'll grade them separately on story and, and art. The story I would give, uh, I'd probably say a B, maybe even a B plus. I thought it was a pretty decent story, although maybe this is not so much the story, but just me having read way too many comics. I figured out who the reveal was about, I don't know, maybe halfway at most into the <laughs> book. I, I figured that it was not Charles, who was the first person I thought that it was, but that it would be uh, Doc Sampson. Um, well, oddly, oddly enough, now, I don't know if it's supposed to be. I'm sure it's supposed to be a hint from the beginning that all his dialogue is has green coloring. Right. Around. Yeah, I think that was the other <laughs> thing that, that made me think that, wait a minute, this is Doc, Doc Sampson, isn't it? Because I, I realized, well, it's Peter David, and, and this was more psychology at work than it, it was you know, a teacher-student relationship. So that's, that's why I quickly realized that, no, I don't think this is Professor X. I think this is somebody else. And then... Uh, like I say, so I'm not sure exactly where it hit me, but at some point I was like, no, this is uh, 
This is Doc Sampson. This has got to be Doc Sampson. See, I didn't. Well, I wasn't quite as much on the ball as you guys. I didn't have it figured out who it was. I didn't think it was Charles, and I figured it had to be somebody with superpowers. But I didn't figure out who it was until they actually gave the reveal. Well, P- Peter Dave was also writing the Hulk at this time, so it made it made sense at the end. But I don't remember in my initial reading catching on. Right. But then again, I was fifteen. Well, see, I'm reading it, you know, this was my first time reading it, so that that probably gave me a little bit of edge on it, I would think. Then, you know, if I'd have read it brand new when it was coming out, I probably would not have figured out that it was Doc Samson. And um, is, is it a bad thing that Joe Quesada is, cre- is credited as a doctor of gynecology? <sighs> yeah, I wondered what that was all about. And, and why is Bob Harris a doctor of urology? <laughs> Who was it? Or, or uh, Tom DeFalco, proctology. proctology. I, th- I did get a kick out of that one. Um, the other grade, based on art, I have to give a flat F. I can't stand this art. I, it's everything I don't like about comic book art. It's sloppy. It's bizarre. There's you know nobody's paying attention to anatomy. I really, really don't like the art in this. And, you know, it, it, it's what's kept me from checking any of this stuff out from the longest time. It, um, it's quintessential 90s in the worst, the worst way. When people say, oh, that 90s stuff, you know, this is what they're talking about is the bizarre art like this. And it's just very off-putting. Um, from from the artwork to the coloring to the shading, I just I really don't like it, and I, I have to question, you know, who was their art director at this time? Did they have an art director at this time? Because there's a lot of stuff here where I would just think, you know, a few years prior to this, when some of the older hands were you know, active as the art directors and such. I just, I can't see them allowing such shoddy stuff to be hitting the stands. But of course, this was the look. This was the hot thing. So I guess you can't fault it for the times that it was being put out. But just looking back on it now, it's, uh, yeah, it's not good stuff. But at least not how you really feel, Scott. (laughs) <laughs> Not to my sensibilities. Well, I, I've never been a Quesada fan. I remember when he came along and he, uh, you know, there were several projects he did. He did the uh, the thing, oh, with the with the guy who eventually, uh, Azriel. Oh, yeah, sort of Azriel. And, and remembering that that book just caught fire and was huge and, and just jumped in price. And I remember thinking, Really, that piece of crap? Because I passed on that on the stands, thinking, "Man, that art was abysmal." And and then he just became one of those, you know, guys you'd constantly see him in in Wizard, you know, you know, hot artist, hot artist. And I'm like, really? Because I, the guy doesn't know how to draw. So I don't know. It just this was when comics, uh, for a good while, visually speaking, they kind of lost me because. I, I like a cleaner style that pays attention to, you know, basic things like anatomy. <laughs> I mean, I realize it's it's a fantastical medium and we're supposed to embrace 
that sort of thing and you have to have a willing suspension of disbelief but i also like when my fantasy is grounded in certain aspects too and just the fact of you know basic human anatomy is a is a nice place to begin when you're wanting to ground things a little bit and make them believable and there's just uh you know that thing with especially with the with the women you know with uh, Polaris in particular here where you know can can a woman really look like that you know and as Paul's pointed on the on the reveal page 29 when she's standing there um why would you stand like that she's not wearing high heels she's literally standing on her tippy toes and it looks like maybe she's trying to work out a wedgie or something i'm not really (laughs) sure what the hell's going on there but people don't stand like that so yeah i wonder do you think the 90s was kind of uh, the industry's middle age crisis where it's trying no. to refine itself or redefine itself or just no I am for me I think what the 90s was and don't get no don't misunderstand me I'm not a 90s basher I happen to think there was a lot of great stuff that came out in the 90s but the bad reputation that the 90s gets I think it gets it for one thing and that's indulgence they were very indulgent in the 90s it was pretty much anything goes. And I think that attitude is not so much a middle age crisis kind of attitude as it's very much a, say, uh, teenager or young person right out of high school mentality of, hey, uh, you know, we're young, we're free, we're invulnerable, we're bulletproof, we can do anything we want to and the sky's the limit and nobody's telling us no and nobody did say no. And so a lot of shit that should have never hit the stands did and there was a glut of it, and for a time, it sold. But then when it didn't, it really didn't, and it hurt the entire industry. And in a lot of ways, I still to this day don't think we've quite recovered from the damage that that overindulgence did to, you know, to the hobby. And it's, it's a shame. It's See, really a shame. In, I'm, I'm in love with that idea that You've got the golden age, which would be infancy, learning basic things. Silver age, where it's really hitting stride and and absorbing the world. Bronze age, where it's starting to come into adolescence and realize itself. And then the 90s would be that very late adolescence, early adulthood, where you're out in the real world and suddenly you realize those repercussions of your actions. I kind of like that a lot. I see what you're going for, but you have to remember that it's not all the same people. That no, each no. of those ages also represents uh, a change of creators, a change of attitude. Um, but through several of those eras, they do overlap as far as the maybe not the individual comic book creators staying the same, but a lot of the editors had long careers and we're following all this stuff by the time you get to the 90s era just about everybody's new at that point and again i think it's because you've got so many um younger fresher attitudes i guess you could say that there was a lot more stuff being allowed to happen than had been allowed before and so that's why i i think that we got 
so much stuff that was a little more indulgent and pushing the boundaries and things. And I'm not talking like censorship so much as that, you know, people that would step forward and go, you know, this, this isn't up to quality. This isn't the standard that we strive for, you know, go back and draw it again or go back and, and, tighten up the story or whatever the case is in a lot of instances there was stuff that just i don't know what they were going for exactly but through not having that quality check process there's a lot of stuff that hits the stands you go back and look at it now and it feels rushed or incomplete or like it was just trying to keep up with a trend or something i don't know it's hard it's hard for me to to verbalize what I'm going for here, but I don't know. Does that make any sense? It does to me. I'm completely, I I mean, just having been through it and coming of age while that was occurring, I completely understand what you're saying. (laughs) The scary thing is, is that strangely for all of the, the talk that there has been for the last 20 years about the nineties and, you know, the harsh lessons that should have been learned from that period. Damned if I don't think that a lot of the same things are happening all over again in comics right now. I, I see an awful lot of self-indulgence out there. A lot of stuff that I'm looking at coming from primarily DC this time around. Whereas before, I, I thought that the bulk, you know, between the big two, I mean, there was all that fringe stuff and the independent stuff that you know was just you, you just shake your head at or, or just sometimes laugh at but between marvel and dc through the 90s i think dc as you look back weathered the, the 90s a hell of a lot better than marvel did i i think marvel really took the brunt of you know when people look back at the 90s going, oh god 90s i think it's marvel that that really takes the hit on that this time around, you know, if people do look back at the 2010s and they have that same kind of attitude like they do when they look back at the 90s, I think this time around it's going to be DC that's going to kind of take the brunt of that because, man, I've been looking at some of the solicits and some of the artwork coming out for projects that are either out now or coming up in the future man does a lot of it look like the 90s <laughs> all over again and well, there's the irony it. scott is that it's the people who were working at marvel in the 90s are over at dc mm-hmm. now yeah yeah you you're know, absolutely I, I right looked at it from that perspective mm-hmm. and i think you're absolutely right i think right now dc is the for lack of a better term self-indulgent company yep that's just putting out stuff trying to be edgy Yep. But when you try to be edgy, you usually come off as pretentious. Yep. Instead of edgy, <laughs> edgy comes naturally. You don't. It it doesn't come because you force it, and it seems to me like they're forcing it. Yeah. Edgy and and chasing a trend and and trying to shoot for uh, an elusive demographic. And I don't, I don't see where they're trying to shoot for any demographic right now because it no. seems to me like they're not pulling in anybody new, and yet they're disenfranchising a lot of their older readers at the risk of pissing off listeners i'll just say i think the demographic they're shooting for at dc is hipster douchebags and it's just how i feel about it because that seems to be who is into it and 
you know, I, I realize that there are exceptions. I'm not talking about the guys that are sticking with it because they're devoted fans that are trying to weather a bad patch. Because there are guys like that, you know. And I was one of those guys for a long time, but it just for me it just got to a point where like I can't hang with you anymore. So mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, if you're listening to me say that and you're going, well, that's son of a bitch. No, I, I'm, you know, if you're weathering a storm. God bless you. I wouldn't do it, but if you're trying to, that's that's different than somebody who jumps on and goes, "Oh man, look at the stuff they're doing over there. Oh, Superman's not, you know, a wussy anymore. He's tough and he's edgy and he's dark and oh, I love Superman." Now, yeah, well, screw you. And even even but, when they get it right, they 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 derail it anyway. Cuz right. uh the Scott Snyder Greg Capullo Batman started off on a, on, a, on a real high. It was it was really an enjoyable read. So rather than ride that high, they said, you know what? Let's do a year one thing over again and just take it all off the tracks again. <laughs> and 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 it totally turned me off to it, and I haven't been reading it since then. Well, I was telling what a friend this week who who was talking about you know he posted an article about the market share DC is losing, and I had to admit, and I don't want to bash it. It's just preference at the at the end of the day, but. When it gets to the point when I completely walk away from the DC universe and all my everything I'm getting is Marvel, there may be something maybe wrong with me. I'll admit that. But there's something where fans like myself who are dyed in the wool DC fans who call it the DC Nation home who are leaving, that should indicate something. Right. There, right, should, yeah. be, there should be not a big, huge red flag, but they should start asking themselves what. What can we do? How can we level this? How can we have our cake and eat it too? Uh, I completely agree with you. The The comparison thing, though, I was trying to get at was there was a solicit that I, I just saw. Uh, I think this was today, as a matter of fact. It was a picture of Superman from either a, an ongoing story or an upcoming story. And it was basically Superman in that god-awful new uniform of his. But it was like he was possessed by... Uh, doomsday or something so he had like spikes coming out all over him he was like this monster looking Superman and the art was just it was just awful and I was like where is the quality control on this and I, I've just I've seen a trend of that with DC lately like it's just the the art seems to be getting worse and worse all the time I mean for a time there in in the 90s in the early 2000s they had some really bad artists come in too and it just it, it kills me because i thought this was a lesson that they learned you know when they started retooling things and they rebooted superman in particular after crisis on infinite earths for a time it really seemed like dc realized hey top characters top talent and there has been a, a slow degradation over the past 30 years to where, once again, we're back where we were, where you've got your top-tier characters, and they're just letting anybody work on it, no matter the quality or lack of quality of their work. And that's not good. That's not a good business model at all. You no. need good people on your top-tier books. If you've got you know, somebody that you think is hot or new or edgy or whatever, and you want to give them a try, you do it like the old days. You put them on a friggin' tryout book, or you put them on something, you know, like 
you know, there were superstars that came out of, you know, where they threw them onto books that, you know, the editors were like, shit, this book's going down in flames anyway. We don't care, Frank Miller. We'll let you have this book. Or we don't care, uh, Alan Moore. We'll let you have this book. Do whatever the hell you want to because it's going to be canceled anyway. And sometimes those guys become superstars. But you don't put them on Superman or something like that. That's, you know, a, a bread and butter title for your company. And they're doing that. And I'm just shocked. I'm like, really? Yeah. That's really disturbing to me. And and on, on the one level, I am ready to sit back and say, they're not marketing to me anymore. This market has passed me by. They're going for they're trying to go for a younger audience and therefore I can either get some enjoyment out of this or I can give up on it totally. But I think they're failing miserably in going after a young audience. I don't think they're getting a young audience. They still have the same 30-something, 40-something, 50-something-year-old people reading their books that they've had for the last 30 years. They're not getting new people in. So, well, And even people like me who were early adopters who supported things have seen the decline go so fast that, you know, even though I was, I was enjoying the Superman books, that's even skewed even further from when the New 52 began, away from, you know, our age group. Because there, there were issues I liked at the beginning that just slowly faded out of my, my particular realm of enjoyment. I thought the first couple of issues of Grant Morrison's Action Comics were pretty good. Mm-hmm. And well, I then I, I didn't I really care for that the, run. I didn't care for the George Perez Superman, though, although a lot of people seem very high on it. It, uh, it, was, it was not George Perez's Superman. He was very much manipulated, which was why there was an, I mean, the, the editorial was very much, they had their hands in the pot. And I think that is where we're seeing the biggest problem. It's not necessarily completely the writers and artists. It's the editors. It's the people making the movies who want to make this a sleeker, sexier uh, sort of universe so they can sell toys or they can sell DVDs. This is, uh, I mean, the comics are a, not an afterthought, but they're, they contribute to that greater market share, mm. that different demographic and different, different media. The greater good. I wouldn't go that far. I mean, Marvel's done a really good job of, yes, taking cues from the movies as they're becoming successful, but not doing it by uprooting what's come before. It's not always been successful, but they've done a really solid job overall. Yeah, I would I would tend to agree with you, and and I think most of it's been at least readable. Mm -hmm. If it hasn't been top notch, it's still been you know decent. Oh, there are books right now that I'm enjoying the heck out of. I mean, clearly Daredevil, I'm partial. Electra ended up being good. Nightcrawler, the ongoing series, has been a blast, and Silver Surfer is just probably right behind Daredevil, just top notch stuff. And for the first time in a while, since the New 52, I'm looking forward to going to the comic shop and getting comics again. And then, But then there's some stuff where, at least in my opinion, it's poorly poorly matched up. Uh, for example, I really, I really liked the first series of Luther Strode books from Image. Mm. And now they've, uh, since then, they've, they've uh, they just put Trad Moore, who was the artist from that, <coughs> excuse me, whose art went very well on that, and they just put him on Ghost Rider, where I just don't believe, I don't like the combo there. I don't like his art on that property at all. 
Well, that so, property looks like it's been completely reimagined for good or for ill. I, I'm not interested in it at all. It has, it has been reimagined, and the artwork itself, I think, or the story itself, I think is decent. But the art, I, to me, the art is totally mismatched with that book. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's, to me, that's a misstep that Marvel made. And I'm sure there's people out there who disagree and think the art goes wonderfully. But, you know, that's why uh, we are, we're all entitled to our own opinions, I guess. But we could go on and on and on about yes, this for could. about four more hours. Yeah, I was but just realizing. But I think realizing... we should get to book number three because we're already, <laughs> we got a lot of time clo- clocked already. Yeah, I was just realizing that if, we, that if I hadn't tangents just like that, that uh, Bill's synopsis would probably just now be wrapping up. So, yeah, we should probably <laughs> if, if, hey. if we had started the show with Bill's synopsis, we'd be just about getting to the, about the halfway mark now. <laughs> Blame Wilford Brimley. <laughs> By the way, Cocoon did win an Oscar. Donna Michi won best uh, best actor, supporting best actor, actor, supporting right? actor. Visual effects. John Dyke uh, was it? It was uh, McQuarrie. Ralph McQuarrie was involved with the visual effects. But hmm. yeah, you you were right about Amici. I forgot that he won supporting actor for that. Yep. Now Donna Michi, when they filmed that, was nearly twenty years older than Wilfred Brimley. <laughs> really? So he was your age? No. No. <laughs> Yeah. Wilfred Brimley, I, I looked it up, I think, I, and I'm working off the top of my head because I, I don't recall exactly, but I think it said Wilfred Brimley was born in like 1935 or 36, cool. something like that, whereas Don Amici was born in like 1910. If we don't get Chris Honeywell to do some sort of Photoshop with a cocoon theme, I'm going to be upset. <laughs> I'm going to cry. There will be tears. Well, it does, it does take a lot to twist Chris's arm to get him to do a Photoshop. You have to actually mention it to him. <laughs> yeah, and then, but yeah, but then he has to remember. Yeah, well, that's the hardest part. <laughs> so, Bill, what do you got? Uh, did we finish great? Yeah, okay, that's right. That was Scott's super tangent. That was pretty awesome. <laughs> well, the theme of the show is disenfranchised comic guys, and we're yeah, all in. No kidding. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Don't worry, this won't be a really long one. This won't be a long one. No, save it, save it, save it. How many yeah, times has be... your wife heard that? Uh, see, I was just waiting for that. I was just waiting for that. Son of a... <laughs> My book is X-Factor, oddly enough. Wow, it's like a theme here. My, but mine is uh, X-Factor, The Quick and the Dead. It was a one-shot that came out in... Uh, cover date was July 2008. The on-sale date was May 7th, 2008. Cover price, oof, $2.99. Yeah, this is when I was starting to look at comics going, ooh, how many more of these am I going to keep getting at this price? Yeah, <laughs> might have to cut back. Uh, cover artist is Boo Cook, which I... Is, is that an acronym? Not an acronym. Is that like a pseudo a pseudonym? Is that an alias? God, I knew I'd come across it eventually. Is that an alias for someone? Because <laughs> I don't really remember seeing or hearing a Boo Cook again. I mean, I could just be totally missing the boat. Anybody a Boo Cook fan out there? Anyone? Can't help you on that one. Bueller? No. Bueller? No. Well, anyway, on the cover we have a rather bloodied and beaten-looking Pietro Maximoff, a.k.a. Quicksilver, who uh, looks out off into space while sitting behind bars in jail. And uh, inside, uh, the actual title of the book is also The Quick and the Dead. Um, Writer, Peter A. David. Artist, Pablo Raimundi. Letterer, Corey Pittit. Pittit? 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 
Damn it. I wasn't going to mess these up. I swore I was going to get it right this time. Colorist, Jeremy N. Cox. Editor, Aubrey Sitterson. And special thanks to Andy Schmidt, although I have no idea what he did in the book. But uh, he got a special thank you. In a society where mutants and forever and former mutants alike feel threatened by the world around them, they turn to their first best line of defense whenever trouble arises. X-Factor, the private detective agency founded by Madrox, the multiple man. Previously on X-Factor, Pietro Maximoff, the, fir- the former Quicksilver, has hit his lowest ebb, bereft of the Terrigen Crystals that gave him his powers to restore mutant abilities, and his time-traveling powers also lost to him. He suffered the ultimate insult of being defeated in combat by Layla Miller during an unlikely battle at a Central Park carousel. Now powerless, friendless, hopeless, and other type of lesses, Quicksilver flies rotting in a jail cell, his captors having no idea that their prisoner was responsible for the event that decimated mutant kind. We open to a man huddled in a corner of a jail cell, mumbling the name Wanda. We can guess that this is Pietro. The guards are dropping off another denizen of the dungeon named T-Bar, who knows the other inmate named Rufus. T-Bar inquires to the man huddled in the corner. Rufus says he keeps muttering girls' names over and over. Wanda, Maggie, Crystal, Luna, Layla. Layla, got me on my... Wow, nobody's complaining about my singing. It's like you're not even listening. Rufus has nicknamed... (laughs) What? (laughs) Nothing. Rufus has nicknamed him Pretty Boy, an obvious jest to the multiple bruises and cuts on his battered face. Pietro ignores the two men as he is apparently in his own world and is speaking to delusions in the forms of his sister Wanda, the Scarlet Witch, his father Eric Magneto, his wife, ex-wife at this time, I'm not quite sure, can't remember. Was Crystal his ex-wife right now? Did they yes. really did they just separate or actually get a Atlantean divorce? Whatever that would be. As far as I know, they were divorced. Mm. And his daughter Luna. Consider it a divorce. Divorce. (laughs) (laughs) Honey, you shouldn't use tarragon crystals and bake. (laughs) (laughs) Makes the cookies bad. That was a horrible Arnold. No. Each one in a different way supports him and his actions and is trying to bolster him. The final pair of Crystal and Luna embrace him tenderly as his cellmates who seem to look like Christopher Maloney from Law & Order SVU and Steve Buscemi, but we'll talk about that later. Thank God Notice... it's not just me. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's like, am I on something? Notice that he is in- embracing nothing and gets shoved in the corner for his trouble. Nobody puts Quickie in the corner. A vision of Layla Miller, the ghost of Xmas present, Yes, and I did say Xmas on purpose. Has come to tell Pietro to climb up and out of the funk he has placed himself in, and that basically the only thing holding him back from his abilities is himself. She releases a butterfly that draws Pietro to the jail cell window where he sees a couple. Ah, love. He thinks they are in love, but the situation quickly turns to violence, as it does usually in my house, as the woman is about to be thrown off the building. No comment, no further comment. He yells for the guard to something as he rails against the bars of the window. Suddenly, Doug Henning appears. No, Imagination. no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. The concrete around the bars dissolves as Pietro's hands are vibrating and his powers are returning. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I would be able to read that without snickering or somebody would catch it. <clears throat> his cellmates look on and scream to be let out because a freaking mutant is in a cell with them. It's a freaking mutant, man. Game over. Pietro yells at them, <clears throat> at them, not just any mutant, 
I'm freaking Quicksilver, and you can eat my freaking dust. Yeah, there's a lot of freaking in there. I think it would have been another explicative. The wall fully gone now. Pietro runs down the side of the building to catch the woman before she splatters on the pavement. He reassures her and drops her off way out on Long Island, two hours away from where she just was. And then, in what could best be described as an 80s montage, we see Quicksilver rejoice in the return of his powers as he runs across water with dolphins at his feet, a trip to Paris. We know this is uh, Paris because we see the Eiffel Towers in the background. Venice, possibly the American Southwest, running with horses, and finally running off uh, of what could be the top of Mount Everest. The glee of flight is short-lived as Pietro remembers that he can run on land and water, but not on freaking air! And ends up bouncing into an airliner, killing everyone aboard. No, no, no. They're all fine. Landing somewhere in an, in an ocean, which we find out later that he's actually in the, in the Pacific, to be specific. Uh, he lands near a cruise ship. Semi-conscious, he thanks his, his earlier delusions as he sinks slowly below the water, content that he is loved. Before he can slip the surly bonds of Earth, he is pulled from the water by the men from the ship. They ask him if he, if he was in a shipwreck. He says, yes, the shipwreck, the, the, sh- the shitwreck. <laughs> Whoa. Shipwreck has hit the fan. <laughs> yeah. The shipwreck that was his life is the reply. They tell him to relax as it is smooth sailing from here on in. From your lips to God's ears is the reply as the ship returns, as the small boat returns to the cruise ship. And that is our story. And this can be, this was reprinted in X-Factor, the only game in town hardcover, and the only game in town trade paperback. Also, obviously, the single one-shot issue. So, for me, I, the best part of the art for this issue, for me, is the cover. That's why I was asking about the artist. Um, I didn't have time to really look up, see if he'd done any, any other cover art. But, I mean... The issue art is adequate to tell the story, but for me, the cover really stands out because it, at one, hey, the cover actually pertains to the story in the book. <laughs> it's not just your 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 late 2000s, early 2010s um, shot of a cover that has absolutely nothing to do with what happens inside. It was, you know, a nice throwback to older comics. And um, I really think that this cover is detailed and you can really, you really get the feeling of angst and, and pain. Um, that Quicksilver is well, going through. Yeah, the blood helps with that. <laughs> yeah, the blood in the Rip costume would probably help out. And plus, his hair is all mussed up. He really needs a stylist. Yeah, he really yeah. looks like he smells in this picture. <laughs> the quick and the smelly. <laughs> oh, and uh, I forgot to mention the, the the poem on the first page, splash page. He's Quicksilver is huddled up in a corner with light coming through the jail cell window and written on the wall behind him. It says, love is like Quicksilver in the hand. Leave the fingers open and it stays. Clutch it and it darts away by Dorothy Parker. And Dorothy Parker, who died in 1967, two years before I was born, and uh, what, probably through five years after you were born, Paul? Four years? Uh, I'm not trying to make a joke. (laughs) How old was Wilford Brimley at that point? (laughs) <laughs> uh, she was a poet in the early 20th century uh, who was known for her wit and actual sarcasm so I'd have to go look up some of her stuff alright so did anybody else so you thought that that was uh, the guy from SVU too right I didn't catch the SVU the Steve Buscemi stood out but now that I look at it that definitely looks like 
Well, it could be Thomas Jane, too. Mm. But the Bushimi yeah. guy, very much front and center. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think the artwork in this is pretty clearly photo reference stuff. And I hate who, that. Who are they photo referencing for Quicksilver, though? Or is that just, I don't know. Is that I'm, th- like I'm thinking it's, it's what's his name. No, I'm, th- I'm thinking, uh, what the hell is his name from uh, Princess Bride? Carrie Elwes? <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know. know. I, I can get, see I, that. I get more of a Ryan Gosling vibe out of him. No, he'd have better abs. Well, he's wearing a Ryan Gosling's shirt. got some amazing abs. Oh, you could see Ryan Gosling's abs from the from the moon, really. Okay. <laughs> this beacon in the dark. Oh. David loves Ryan Gosling. <laughs> and any man should. It's all right to love Ryan Gosling. That's the exception to every rule. But I, I, I hate photo reference artwork. I really do. It's it's just Everybody looks so stiff and and well, like well, like the first shot, the first full shot you see of Wanda, I think looks fairly good. The costume's a little frumpy looking, but then the second shot of her face is just creepy looking, like a Mrs. Doubtfire. I'm thinking he used Edith Bunker as his. I, I, uh, that's photo like Hillary that Clinton. One. That looks like yeah, mm. Archie. It actually <laughs> looks like Vera Farmiga a little bit from um, that movie with Clooney, Up in the Air. Mm. I never saw it. Basically, because it's a Clooney movie. <laughs> and then uh, Crystal looks <laughs> pretty good, except for her Charlie Brown costume. Yeah, but you know that reminds me, and it and it and it's funny. <laughs> no, it's not in real life with Doctor Bill. No, uh, that outfit reminds me of the character Nova's outfit from Star Blazers, which is funny because the last time we talked about Star Blazers, I believe you were on the show, Jay David. Yeah. Dave, I'm oh, sorry. What was it like a 20 minute diatribe of trying to explain just a simple premise? Yeah. Like you, it was like you were reading the back of the of this laser disc because it has that much text, and it was all off the top of my head. That's amazing. Honestly, it was. It was wonderful. Yeah, but, but all she needs is a uh, is a gun belt with a laser pistol on, on her hip, and that's and that's Nova's outfit from uh, from Star Blazers. Does anybody else know who Nova is? Yeah, she was the hot Richard chick. Richard Oh. Okay, yeah, that's what I thought too. This is Taylor's girlfriend. No. Yes. No. Bah. Bah. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. So, were you were you reading the main series at this time or during this era? No, I, I no, I had read wasn't there a mini series where he had stolen the Terrigen Mists? Yes. Um, yes. The, I don't remember. But that was not in the main X Factor series. It was a it was a mini series, wasn't I it? I think it was I think it was a Quicksilver mini series. It yeah, played so. into House of M and then they brought it over to uh, to the X Factor series because he I mean it was after Wanda had gotten rid of the mutants, so Right. And then Madrix that's in the opening blurb it says the Madrix says uh, we're mutants and former mutants alike, um, that Madrox helps to protect them with his detective agency. I haven't really read up on the new X factor. I know that they formed a detective agency agency, but beyond that, I haven't really dug into the book. I haven't it really was it. phenomenal. It was Peter David basically allowed to take the ball and run with it. He had a deal where, and one of the things that pushed him off the original X factor was the crossovers. Cause he'd have to stop in mid story, do the crossover and try to get his traction. And he just found that difficult. With this, he was able to come in. He pretty much had, I wouldn't say carte blanche, but he had fairly free reign with the characters. And he made some awesome stuff happen. Layla Miller, who we see here, she knows stuff. 
And she was, she grew into one of my favorite characters in comics. And the run as a whole ended up being, you know, I I wouldn't rank it as high as Starman as far as having one cohesive long form story. But it would be about two tiers below Starman, James Robinson Starman. Hmm. That's high praise. Yes. Well, it's just what he threw in was amazing. Well, sorry, I just looked at the diabetes <laughs> Raiders of the Lost Ark photo that you guys posted when I was doing. I lost it. Sorry, I lost my composure. What was I saying? I don't know. <laughs> I I had a thought and it was gone. It died of loneliness. <laughs> Shut up. So, I enjoyed this one. I, I like this one a whole lot. I uh, Layla Miller, I like... that was it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> she Go was, ahead, Bill. Um, what, what was she? Sp- I can't remember what her... Is she still a, a, a mystery in the comics? Because I know, you know, she popped up. She knows stuff. Was she no. supposed to be, I mean, omniscient? I what's, what's her she, deal? She knew the future. She knew events. Uh, kind of like cosmic awareness, but uh, came from a different background uh this series has wrapped up now so they did kind of get into her origin and explaining a few things about why Mm. she knows stuff okay all right but she would she would set up is there such a thing as cosmic unawareness because i I seem to know a whole lot of people that that seem to have that ability it's called humanity scott (laughs) (laughs) somebody maybe on this podcast (laughs) Hey. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, uh, was it page 14? I do like those panel layouts. It's kind of, uh, you know, you've got the, you've got the large skyline picture and you've got, just got the white block there that kind of points out and accentuates what's going on there. And then the next two small panels below it, take that and expand on the action while staying on the whole, the whole main picture doesn't change. You've just got all the small pictures telling the story on it. If you know what I mean. And then they, the few pages after that with a full page spread after the walls, you know, dissolved and Pedro's got the, I'm freaking Quicksilver. Oh, that juggernaut bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Not quite as resounding as the juggernaut cry. I don't think. And I hear him do it in a high squeaky voice. I'm freaking Quicksilver. <laughs> or like a Mike Tyson. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Tyson is Quicksilver. No. Wanda, get over here. <laughs> Magneto, I'm tired of you picking on me. I'm going to bite your ear off. You're going to have to edit that out, Paul, because then the next thing you know, they'll be announcing a goddamn Quicksilver movie with Mike Tyson in the cast <laughs> in the room. <laughs> He could play Bishop. He's got the head tattoo. No. <laughs> how you how you how are you reading this book, Bill? Uh well the cover pulls the art grade up. I mean the art yeah. The art overall in the book, aside for a few spots, you know, I think like you guys said, the photo referencing seems to just bring it down. I'm gonna give it a B for that. Um I 
think I'd probably, if, if I was read after this, maybe I would, you know, understand more where it's going to go. Um, so for story wise, I think I'm going to give it a B as well. So overall B on, 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 uh, on this one, let's see if there's any good ads in here, but we don't have ads. We just have advertisements for the Eternals. Yeah, I'm, I'm and, not as generous as you. Uh, I'm thinking the story is C plus B minus. It's enjoyable. Uh, the artwork, I like the cover. I, I agree with you on that. And there are some individual images that are good, but the photo referencing really takes me out of the story so much, and I don't feel like it's really a well laid out story as far as storytelling goes. So I'm giving it a D plus on the art. And I'm giving it an overall C. Hmm. I'll go next. Um, I really enjoyed the story. I'm a little confused as to has there been a a mild reboot or something with Quicksilver because he seems seriously de-aged? But then again, I've kind of noticed that that's been going on at Marvel kind of quietly for quite a while now that characters have been either slightly de-aged or sometimes um, parts of their, their history as the character... Not so much like retconned away or anything, because Marvel, thank God, doesn't usually do that sort of thing, but just kind of quietly dropped to where they no longer reference it. I'm just a little surprised that nobody recognizes Quicksilver. He was a friggin' Avenger for, you know, for a, a, a decent stretch. So it's not like he's just a complete unknown. He was a celebrity. He was on TV and in newspapers and things like that. You'd think that people would recognize him. Plus, he's a child of Magneto, which, you know, that should have its own level of uh, notoriety right there. So, Well, he's still wearing was, his costume, too. Yeah, so that just seemed really strange to me. But that said, I mean, that, that really kind of falls into the realm of nitpick, ultimately. Um, I dug this. I, I thought it was interesting. It was a pretty decent story. Um, not sure exactly where to grade it. I mean, it wasn't... I already told you what a great... Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't, you know, it wasn't a a spectacular story, but I enjoyed it. I I thought it was, uh, it was uplifting, which I like that kind of thing from time to time in uh, in my comics. So, I don't know, I I guess uh, B minus, I guess. Um, The art's much more difficult for me to, to give a grade on because while this isn't my preferred style of art, I'll take this over the last issue that we just reviewed any day. You know, it's, it's the difference between, you know, more classic comic art that I like and the, the more modern stuff that unfortunately it is heavily, um, both photo referenced and it's heavily, I'm not sure what the correct terminology is. I I almost want to say digitized. And what I mean by that is that, it's so crisp and precise. You can tell that computers have been used to kind of enhance things. It's almost too um, sharp sometimes, and, and it loses a sense of comics in a classic comic sense, at least classic comics to my sensibilities. But that said, I, I don't dislike it, so 
I guess right in the middle, like a C, because I, I think it's you know it's perfectly functional. It's it tells the story. It's linear and all that sort of thing. So it doesn't it doesn't lose me. It just doesn't thrill me. If that you know if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Actually, I'm in yeah. the same boat. I'm in the same boat. Get out of that boat. <laughs> yeah, it's my boat. Just another comment on the art, though. Like because of the photo referencing, I'm I'm looking through it and I'm seeing like five different shots of Quicksilver's face where he looks like five different people. Mm-hmm. It's all this in the same true. book by the same artist. And and that's one of the one of the problems with photo referencing, I think. Well, I'll give you another example. If you look at page, it's nineteen. That last panel at the very bottom, I think just the way that that is set up right there, this reminds me, I don't know if you guys remember color forms, but this reminds (laughs) me of color forms. It looks like there's a background and the people have been color formed onto the background. It's And so in that aspect, that's the kind of art that I'm talking about is that you can tell that computers have been used in this to sharpen things or fuzz things they're they're going for a a realistic feel and i appreciate that but at the same rate it it starts to move visually out of what i consider to be comic books and into something completely different almost like a almost like a photo novel instead of a comic book i don't know what do you guys think of that it looks like somebody did a, a color form on a Bob Ross painting. <laughs> like, there's happy little trees on that. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Stop changing your Skype picture. <laughs> you change it again? Yes, I just looked up and I had Wolf Brimley staring at me intently. That's why I went... <laughs> oh, he did that a while ago. Diabetes! <laughs> Sorry, because <laughs> I was going to say something about the art. I was, I was trying to trip you up during your synopsis, I'll admit it. Oh, oh sorry, I had my synopsis over. I kept changing it to make his eyes just a little closer each time to where it was this scary close-up, but you never noticed. Uh, <laughs> it was like he was, was creeping up on you. <laughs> <sighs> uh, Paul's gonna have a blast editing this one. I can tell. I'm just <laughs> slapping a header and footer on it and put it on. There you go. <laughs> um, Screw you all. I'll put a grade on this real quick. I'm gonna give it a C. It's not Peter David's best effort dialogue-wise, and it just seems weird that there was this one shot. When there was an ongoing series that this stemmed off of, it, it this could have been a very a B story while things are going on in the book, which always irritates me when it's an unnecessary purchase. Granted, the story is okay, but agreed, the art just looks too photoshopped, a little too pristine. It doesn't feel right. like pen touched paper, right? Especially you look at Paris. I mean, that looks looks like they t- somebody did a Photoshop job on the background. So I'm, I'm going to give it a C because I didn't dislike it. I liked it in, in in its bare form, but I just didn't understand why we had a whole one shot devoted to this. That seems fair. Everybody go away. Diabetes. 
Mark. So is is this it for X Men Month then? This will wrap up X Men Month uh, next well, week. Though, well, if Planet you put of this the one Apes. Out, well, yeah, for the recordings, Ooh. yeah. Because, Scott, uh, well, we 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 are not recording any Apes episodes without you there. I was just gonna say, here's the thing. I, I'm so glad that I was able to uh, make at least one X Men Month uh, episode and. You know, as as luck would have it, it turned out to be the last one. But at least I made one. I just I felt really bad because I mean I, I could be wrong, but I think this whole X Men month thing was my idea, and then I yeah, wasn't able to it make was. it. So, <laughs> but uh, no, you guys have my commitment for uh, for Apes Month. I have done all of the reading, and that's good. We need you to carry us on that. So all we're been, doing is reading the issues. Man, it has been a massive effort. I mean, I've I've read everything. The only things that I haven't read, and I probably won't, to be honest with you, because for one, there's I, I'm out of time now. I won't be able to do it. But also, I didn't really feel like um, that it really lent into the overall reading project. Was there were a ton of minis during the adventure comic stuff. Um, like Urchak's Folly and Ape City and stuff like that. I breezed through a lot of the stuff, but I didn't give them like full readings and everything. But as far as like all of the Marvel series, you know, all of the Boom Studio, I read every single thing that Boom put out, um, all that stuff. So, I mean, I, I feel like I'm pretty versed on it now. So I'm looking forward to that stuff. And uh, yeah, I, one way or the other, we got to figure out how those recordings are going to work because well, I definitely want next, in on all next that week, stuff. whatever day we record on next week will be the Marvel series. We're going to open with that. Uh, do you, is there anybody who you think is a good fourth for, for the Marvel apes? Well, 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 Dave, while you're on here, is there any, mm-hmm. any planet of the apes comic series that you feel particularly linked to that you'd be I... interested in joining us for? And nah. I'll be honest. I know nothing about planet of the apes beyond the first movie. Don't kill me, Scott. Okay. So no, not at all. I mean, <laughs> the, the first is a classic. Yep. All right. So if there's anybody in particular who you want to invite on to be the fourth for the Marvel episode, feel free, because I don't have anybody who jumps out at me as being the guy. The only person that honestly comes to mind at the moment for that would be uh, Wilford Brimley. <laughs> <laughs> Wilford Brimley's a big apes fan. I understand that Dr. Zayas had diabetes. <laughs> I think you should take us out on that, dude. I was I was thinking we were already out, but okay. Yeah. Well, no, I I wanted to leave some of that into actually, you know, slightly pimp uh, Apes Month coming up next. Right, time. I, yeah. I want people to know it's coming. You know what I mean? That'll work. Like all the advertisements on all the other shows has it done that. <laughs> Hey, a bunch of damn dirty apes. It's me, Maury Clawhammer. Don't you recognize me? Of course you don't. I've gone back to my simian roots. Maury Clawhammer is going ape. That's right. Coming soon at 2TrueFreaks.com, it's Planet of the Apes Month. Hey, hey, look at me. I'm peeling a banana with my feet while watching all five of them monkey movies. Now I'm reading a chimpanzee comic while swinging on my swinging tire swing. Woohoo! Then it's toy time. 
when some kid throws me a vintage Mego Dr. Zayas action figure. And I'm gonna put it where the sun don't shine, in front of a whole third grade class. And nobody's gonna bat an eye. Then, I'm gonna pull it out, and I'm gonna fling it at him. Yeah. It's a whole month of monkey madness. Coming soon at twotruefreaks.com. Check it out. I'm devolving by the second. Or is it the other way around? Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by visiting the Two True Freaks section of www.forumforgeeks.com. Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com and is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Back to the Bins is a proud member of both the League of Comic Book Podcasts, which you may find at comicbooknoise.com league, and also the Comics Podcast Network, which you may find at comicspodcasts.com. Take a moment to stop by their respective sites and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Okay, so, long ago he was a sentinel. Now he is simply the master mold. Once he was a mutant hunting robot imprinted with the brain engrams of his creator, Stephen Lang. Once he believed himself to be Lang. But master mold realized that my phone was ringing while I'm trying to do... <laughs> I was like, wow, Paul's putting in music already. Oh, awesome. Oh, calling me. Hang on. It's probably one of my kids. Hang on for just a minute, guys. <laughs> you got to keep all this in, too. But he won't. He'll take it out. <laughs> okay. While, while we're waiting on that, here's something. <laughs> you sound like Rocky, Rocky the Squirrel. Here's something you'll yeah, really that's what like. I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what did you say? What is this? This will have to get edited into. (laughs) Hey, I've got diabetes. This isn't funny. (laughs) Dude, this goes on for like, I can't watch all of this. Maybe the fastest I've seen an episode of the show go off the rails. <laughs> <laughs> we lost it at Wilford Brimley. <laughs> oh, I got to get some air. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> uh.
poking the pin at me. Boom, diabetes. <laughs> I love that. And <laughs> diabetes. <laughs> Bill, did I tell you about the wine bottle? Whoa. Uh, <laughs> uh, I gotta go, stock? guys. <laughs> We're at uh, my wife and I are, are just we we like to drink wine. We're not efficient oh, okay. or anything like that. But I saw wine, and I was dead tired. And I'm like, yes, I want to buy that. And I thought it said Robinson. It was like Robinson Farms or something like that. I'm like, I gotta get it. I gotta take a picture of it. It was Robertson. Uh. But but for like 20 minutes, I was elated because I'm like, we're gonna build. <laughs> We're going to build this legend of this Dr. Bill who also makes wine. Actually, my mother's husband, they make their own wine. Uh, I got a bottle or two of it. It's like 14 or 16 proof. Or, or no, not proof, uh, percent alcohol. Oh, that's yeah, a big difference. It, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty <laughs> Try to make it so that when he comes back, yeah. it's a bunch of Wilford Brimley staring at him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Quick, send a picture. Put the picture. <laughs> no, I gotta hurry. I gotta hurry. I gotta find one. Hang on, I'll do it. Hang on. <laughs> do you think I really don't see what you're doing here? <laughs> oh, I got one. <laughs> I'm gonna pray I don't piss myself. I'm laughing, laughing so hard. Hold on, I've got one I guess can't find where to stick it in. Wait, that doesn't sound good. 